Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. A quick word before we start this week's episode. We want to take a moment to remember our good friend, Adam Schlesinger. You may know Adam has been a guest on our show before, but you may not be aware of what a friend he was to us. Adam not only graciously offered his time as a guest, he also wrote and performed that insanely catchy theme song that begins and ends this podcast every episode. Since this week's episode mentions Adam, we didn't want to edit it out or erase his memory in any way. We just wanted you to be aware of how much he meant to us and how much we are going to miss him. Thanks, and now, on with the show. It's Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. All right, hello. I am Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and this is Totally 80s. Once again, I'm joined by the other John Hughes. Flip, 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 flex. <laughs> and... A man who needs, well, in my opinion, needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. Mr. Sam Hollander. He is a hit maker to the stars. He has written (laughs) and produced so many songs. Pancake, The Disco Fits and The Tantrums, One Direction, Good Charlotte, Train, Violent Femmes, Cobra Starship, Weezer, Metro Station, and so much more. His hits have been streamed over four billion times. And And I am so flattered, Sam, because this is a true story. When you found out about this Totally 80s podcast... We didn't reach out to you. You message us. You slid into our DMs. I uh, I have stalker tendencies. I love and it. I'm ready to be stalked. You know, I, I relate. W- one of my uh, one of my BFFs is uh, Adam Schlesinger of Adam Schlesinger fame, and you know we were we were we had dinner one night, and I said, "What'd you do today, my friend?" He said, "Well, I did this podcast with Yahoo's own Lindsey Parker, and obviously the great John Hughes, and we discussed the '80s." And the FOMO kicks in. I'm starting to feel a little left out of this whole experience. I'm freaking out. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going for it. I'm just going to I'm just going to reach out and I'm going to express express the notion that I am needed in this dialogue. You, I have content and I'm going to bring it. Content is the name of the game. And I'm ready for you to bring it on, because today we are talking about. What I would consider to be one of the most influential and important bands of the 80s and certainly one of the most influential and important bands of my life, Duran Duran, as you said, when you started to, John, you teased it a bit with a bit of the Nile Rodgers remix version of the Reflex. I believe that was their first song to go to number one. Yes. Fun fact. Duran Duran have had another number one song 
And it is the only Bond song that ever made number one. Screw you, Adele. Screw you, <laughs> Sheena Easton. Take sorry, that off. Sorry, <laughs> Sam Smith. Only <laughs> number one Bond song to ever go to a number one was A View to a Kill. Makes sense. It's from a Bond movie that had Grace Jones in it. Enough said. But before we get down, go down the rabbit hole of all that, I want to start. I, I guess we can be safely assumed that if the three of us are sitting in a room ready to talk about Duran Duran rolling up our Patrick Nagel sleeves, that we are all fans. But everyone has a different entry point for this band and, and different ways of coming to be a fan. So I want to know, how did you, either of you could John, go first. John, kick it off. John, how did you first discover Duran Duran? What's your first memory of a song, a video, a poster? Because, you know, the visuals were as important with this band. I had the uh, privilege of having a really good friend that worked with me at Wendy's. <laughs> and I worked at Wendy's in the 80s and he was a few years older than me and he had the best musical taste. He loved New Wave. He loved New Romantics. He loved everything. And one day he he knew what I liked and he said, hey, I have an album for you. And I have two. And he let me borrow the uh, debut for Duran Duran on Harvest. This is before mm-hmm. the reissue mm-hmm. when it came with Is There Something I Should Know mm-hmm. uh, it has On the Shore on it. Uh, and then he also let me borrow Spandau Ballet Journeys to Glory. Wow, what a what Good a conundrum! Friend. Yes, Brad Meadows. Which out. one won in that new romantic battle? Which did you I, listen to I first? Which did you prefer? Now th- that's the funny thing because I was torn. I was like, here are two things that are blowing my mind. Uh, I loved Duran Duran because it was more immediate. Uh, Spandau Ballet, Journeys to Glory is more like it takes a few listens and you're like, whoa, Muscle Bound, this is a weird ass song. But have, <laughs> Muscle Bound is a weird ass yeah. video too. Have you seen though, when the score was finally settled via pop quiz? Yes. Okay, pop quiz. It was December of 1984. Picture this. December 1984, London, a soundstage. Pop Quiz was a game show sure. where they'd have, you know, family feud kind of trivia style. Mm-hmm. They had Duran Duran versus Spandau Ballet wow. in a battle it's of wits. a battle wits. royale. Duran Duran won. Mm-hmm. That's why they get the podcast today instead of a Spandau <laughs> podcast. Duran Duran won. You could actually say that Spandau won in their own way because they were doing trivia about each other's songs. And Spandau knew none of the lyrics to any of the Duran songs. I don't believe that. We all know the lyrics to Duran Duran songs. They just clearly were trying to be too cool. But like, you know, Andy Taylor was buzzing in and like finishing the line to like communication and like, you know, highly strong and whatever. So Duran Duran won. So Duran Duran are who we're talking about today. So... You got these two albums. I got the two albums, uh, listened to it. And then in a really strange thing, and I can't explain it, uh, I heard Hungry Like the Wolf on the radio. Had no idea it was Duran Duran, this band that I already liked. I thought it was Kiss. The band Kiss? I thought it was the band Kiss. Was it because of the moaning, the female moaning? Yeah, I don't know if it was the guitar or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I I like the song. I think it's Kiss. It sounds like Paul Stanley. I don't know. It does not? Yeah, something was going on in my brain. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) And then I found out it was Duran Duran by seeing the video on MTV. That was the first video I ever saw. But what about you, Sam? What was your entry point? Well, you know, my brother... we have a, a six year differential and my he, brother he's older. Yeah, he's older. And, you know, I was a KTEL kid growing up. Right. So uh, I, I existed on this r- healthy diet of, you know, night flight and, you mm-hmm. know, disco Rama and whatever, you know, and I <laughs> was that a real show. Disco Rama. No, I think that KTEL, like just whatever, oh, okay. just disco uh, Ronco record or mm-hmm, anything. KTEL mm-hmm. Ronco. I've I've amassed an incredible collection. I probably have 250 pieces of uh, KTEL and Ronco vinyl. Wow. Just put it out there. But I'm what sure are they sound great? No, they, they've been <laughs> well worn. Um, Not mint. But condition. when I wasn't listening to uh, John Paul Young, um, 
I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, I was segueing out of it when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And, um, my brother went off to his freshman year of college. And when he went off to school, he went to Boston university and I don't know if I'm getting this right, but he roomed with the DJ at the radio station. It was his freshman roommate. And my brother, it's funny because my brother grew up and he, you know, my brother is six six, three and a half, probably back in the day, probably about two, two thirty, two forty. He was a football player. He was in court, like really tough kid. And he listened to a lot of like, like seventies mm-hmm. shit kicker kind of rock. You know what I mean? So he was really into, you know, Hey, uh, we had a lot of Skinner and outlaws and Marshall Tucker in the house and stuff <laughs> right. like that. I was more of a disco kid, mm-hmm. so I didn't really get it, but you know, he, he listened to some tough stuff and he came back from that first semester of college and he came back with two milk crates full of vinyl and the vinyl at the front of it. I'll still remember the first record I saw was the English beat. And, I love the artwork and the, the, you know, um, that set off and there was a specials in there, blah, 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 blah. And then you get to girls on film, you know, Mm. there's a 12 inch of girls on film and he played me this thing and my head exploded. I thought, man, these guys, this is like the coolest thing ever. And then this coincides with MTV. Now we didn't have cable where, uh, you know, and right. my parents refused to get cable. So we never had cable. In fact, the entire, my entire childhood, I never had cable time wow. to New York when I was uh, 18. Well, so, don't worry. You didn't miss much because MTV wasn't showing the uncensored girls on film. Well, version. yeah, that, you know, and that would have obviously changed the game for me. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, my grandmother, uh, both my grand- grandparents lived in Manhattan. And when I would go on the weekends to visit them, we, we, we spent a lot of time in the city on the weekends. And when I was left with my grandma, parents, I was always, um, glued to MTV and, uh, I don't know what part of the narrative of my story. You guys know this part or not. This is the big reveal about me. That's kind of fun is my mom, um, in the late seventies, her partner was a guy named, uh, a man named Jed Johnson. They owned an interiors firm, Johnson and Hollander interiors. And Jed was Andy Warhol's boyfriend. Oh, and, wow. Um, they, uh, they did these incredible apartments in the city and on the weekends they used to leave me at Andy's apartment where Andy would babysit me. So I would sit on one end of the room and Andy and the two maids and the two dogs, Archie and Amos would sit in the middle and, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, interaction, but what I would say is I grew up around this crazy little world. In the I think city. we have another podcast. Yeah. I'm about <laughs> yeah. to say, I mean, yeah. I, my story about but, how I discovered yeah. Andrew, it's yeah. really not going to be that exciting it, after you're like, I was babysat yeah, by Andy Warhol. Creepy, but, but my brother was a big winner of it with our age difference because my brother, uh, came out of college and immediately went to work at Andy Warhol's 15 minutes. Wow. And so he worked at 15 minutes and he worked with Don Monroe, who was Andy's sort of chief director at the time. And my brother, that was my brother's closest friend. Friend. And he really, so my brother was around the, the, the interview section mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And he got, he got to experience it. And I was still, obviously still in high school. I, I missed most of it. And then Andy passed. But what was funny about that whole thing was my brother just had this incredible taste level and he put me on to the records that really changed my life. And Duran Duran was it. But then when I remember I'm sitting at my grandmother's apartment and I see hungry, like a wolf for the first time. And I've always been very aware of what I look like, you know, I'm sort of a suspect looking guy. Like I, you know, <laughs> sort of, I, I, I know I sort of dabble in like a Jack Klugman esque sort of thing. And so Let me I jump saw in the, and, and tell everybody listening. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Yeah, so no. I saw no, those no, guys no. though. I saw, you know, I saw those guys. You see John Taylor, you know, and well, this yeah, guy. Anyone- 
yeah. seeing Don Taylor's going to react yeah, on a visceral level. Yeah, it's just like this guy's level. the biggest pimp in the world. And Simon <laughs> and, you know, and I, they just, nobody where I grew up looked like these guys. You know what I mean? They they were so confident. And, and then there the, was Andy. And, the, and <laughs> you know, Poor the Andy was always very. Four out of five. <laughs> How is it that Andy literally married the hairdresser of Duran Duran and had the worst hair of the band. He literally married Tracy, the hairdresser. There's a lot of anger there. Can I tell you something? One thing you notice about bands, there's always an Andy. Every band has an Andy. And you know what's funny? It's always the heart of the band. Yes. That's the one you kind of, you always root for them. And you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But you, no, so you see the video. You so see, see the these video. Guys. I lose my mind, and the girls are so insane. And you know, I'm just like this little horny little kid. I just can't even yeah. believe what I'm watching. I'm like, this is just this is it for me. So I went way in, but then I jump off earlier than you guys do. So we'll Ooh, get there. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. So I, that's a, a little cliffhanger. But so, it's it's interesting that you. It's all very full circle with you mentioning Andy Warhol because he became instrumental in the band's career. Him and like Nick Rhodes were real tight. Exactly. Nick Rhodes was kind of the artsy mm-hmm. dude in exactly. the band, and like Andy, I think they played, they did events together. And That's things. why. That's why I, I gave you the segue, Lindsay. I was hoping you'd run with it. So <laughs> I'm a pro. Okay. Well, my story uh, is not going to be as exciting as being babysat by Andy Warhol, but my it's first, cool, right? My, it's very cool. It's, yeah, it's Again. Actually, and the funny thing is, it's completely true. I know. I can't amazing. embellish. Have this you kind written of a memoir yet? Um, a book. We're doing it. You and I are working. On it later, we'll all, right. all right, it's going to be called Andy Warhol was, was my babysitter. babysitter. <laughs> there you go, that's a movie title right now. Duh. Um, my babysitter was MTV, but before <laughs> MTV, uh, I did the first video I ever saw by Duran Duran was Hungry Like the Wolf. But it's interesting, I saw it on a channel called the Z Channel. Mm-hmm. Now, if you didn't grow up in Southern California, you might not know what the Z Channel is, but before HBO, before on television, select TV, the Z Channel was like this weird cable channel that played movies. Um, and it had like really weird movies, like Emmanuel, like all the Emmanuel, Emmanuel, <laughs> like just, I mean, it played, it, it got like one month, one movie a month that you could say was like a good. Lindsay, what if I told you I had a video disc player, you know, when everyone <laughs> else had VHSs, my mom refused to give in to the VCR craze. Not a Betamax? No, you ready for this? And uh-huh. this is like, I'm not giving you this for comedic benefit. This is really me giving you some real shit. Okay. We had a video disc player, and then we went beta in 89. Nice. 89? That's what I'm saying. So the, you couldn't get anything. So for Back me, my brother, who was older and, you know, more prodigious with the ladies at that age, he had Emmanuel. He had the Emmanuel laser di- <laughs> the, the, the disc, the thick thing, which was the size of like right. four albums, and you jam it in, and it only gave you four or five playings before it would start stuttering. Uh. And I had Phantasm, we had oh. uh, Emmanuel, we had Blues Brothers, we had Stripes, and we had uh, American Werewolf in London. That's all we had, and all of them were skipping within the first four viewings. So it was literally Man, like what a sorry, hard childhood sorry, sorry, you sorry. had. That totally negates the coolness of the Andy Warhol childhood. <laughs> we were not that you were cool, just watching a stuttering stripes over just and over. Just imagine again. when you're bringing friends over all the time, and you go to your Wanna friend's watch house and they again? Have, yeah, they have rock and roll high school and all this cool right. stuff, and you're like, no. hey, come, I've got stripes for the four hundredth time. And you didn't <laughs> you know? have MTV or the Z Channel. No, so, you know what we had? Did you? But we had. What U sixty six was that? What it was called V sixty six. There was MV three, and then there was a syndicated U sixty six. U sixty six. We would get that, but literally through the wire hangers, right. and we would get the <laughs> no shaky things. Wire hangers you know? <laughs> and it was so crazy. And you're like, oh, it's translator with everywhere I'm not. Mm. But you know, you just didn't understand. Back to Duran yeah. Duran. Sorry. No, mm. I enjoyed that little. This is tangent. called ADHD. 
Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed that little tangent. But the Z channel was this cable channel that showed weird movies, okay. second run movies, old movies, pretty much anything they could get. Kind of similar to MTV, just anything that got sent. They'd have an occasional blockbuster in there. But in between, you know, movies all have different lengths. None are exactly an hour or right. half hour mark. So they would always start a new program either at the top of the hour or at the half hour. So if there was a little gap in between, they would just show any random shit. They would show short films. They would show music videos sometimes. So one time I turned on the Z channel, I think I was ready to see some movie. And I literally was like, oh, what's this Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> knockoff movie? Like, that's what I, th- I thought. I'm like, what's this adventure movie? That's great. So I start to watch it. There's yeah. these like hot matinee yeah. idols in yeah. safari wear, like yeah. running through uh, Sri Lanka, I believe it is, and like tussling in the f- jungle with cat women mm-hmm. and, you know, scratches on the neck. And have you seen Simon's Missing? And I'm like, what's this is exciting. This is an exciting movie. And then it ends two, three minutes later. And I realized, oh, it was a music video. And I saw the little like Chiron and it was like Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf, Rio. And I was like, wow, is this a band? <laughs> They're really, really cool. And not that long after that, maybe a week or so later, I got a copy of Star Hits. Mm-hmm. And on the, I remember this, I remember it like a punch in the face. It hit me on the back cover, glossy ad for the Rio album. So that I, my entry point was the Rio album, I guess it's probably 82. Yep. And um, it might've been 83 though. It was like, right. Because, you know, it took a while yeah, for that record it, to it, get going. It took a good six months for Hunger yeah. Like Wolf to break. Right. Wow. So it was right yeah. on the crest of that. And it was like, you know, a picture of them all and they're like white linen, you know, safari wear and, and they were smiling like I remember I wasn't looking at Andy. Sorry, Andy. I was looking right at John. I'm like, oh, there's my husband. Yeah. There's my soulmate. Clearly, we are meant to be together. But when I saw you that- still pic- are. Mm-hmm. Nah, mm-hmm. I think he's happy with his uh, juicy couture, mm-hmm. millionaire wife. But, you know, John, if it doesn't work out. But yeah. anyway, did I say that? We can edit that out. <laughs> or don't. Uh, but I, I, it was a reaction that almost every young girl had. Maybe it wasn't John. Maybe it was Simon. Probably wasn't Andy, I hate to say. But it was <laughs> We should stop bashing Andy. Poor Andy. <laughs> Poor Andy. But it was, you know, like a boy band, you know, everyone had their favorite. And I did realize that as we all kind of collectively started to love Duran Duran in 82, 83 in the Valley, I hung out with a lot of packs of my little girlfriends and we all had a favorite. And I don't know if this was just like natural selection. None of us overlapped. There were never two like John fans mm-hmm. that hung out together. I hung out but with my friend Karen. She loved Nick Rhodes. No, my sister loved Nick Rhodes. Okay. My best friend, Lisa, was Simon. Mm-hmm. My friend, Karen, was Roger. She took, you know, she mm-hmm. was a little bit of an outlier, you know. Uh, I like Roger. He was good looking. He just wasn't sure. weird. He wasn't sure. weird enough looking. Sure. He, he was too normal. Sure. No Andy friends. Right. None. Yeah. We didn't put out like a casting call, like who right. wants to join our group? But we all we all had a favorite. And they were they basically became our boy band. And I completely remember just feeling like I was hitting puberty right then when I saw right. that video. Like, oh, my God, boys. Right. I like boys. Right. I like boys who look like this right. because there are no boys not who look boys like this. Not boys who like this. No, you I'm not saying that. There were no Jeez. boys at my school. There were Jeez. no boys at my school who looked I know. like any. I know. Not even who looked like Andy. Like See, none. None up, with any fashion no. sense. I grew up with five girls in the house between okay. sisters and stepsisters. And did they all decide who they were going to like? They all had different yeah. likes. Mm-hmm. My theory uh, holds them. weight. But I, I'm going to push this back on you, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. The girls who like Nick, my little sister He was Jennifer, my second favorite. Nick, the girls who like Nick end up dating guys who come out later in life as gay. <laughs> 
Not entirely. Almost like a hundred percent. Not entirely unsound. That has happened to me. Um, I do like effeminate men or androgynous men. I mean, that was that was common in the eighties. I mean, not in Ohio. I grew up in L.A. But yeah, Nick was my second favorite. The reason why Roger and Andy were lower on the totem pole for me was because I did like the flashier ones. It's interesting. I interviewed Roger. A little rough trade there. He's like, he's aged very well. Yes. They've all aged. He's aged the aged. best, if you ask me. Yeah. But go ahead. John looks. John's holding up pretty nicely. But it's interesting. Um, what were you saying about the um, oh, the, the, the the girls who I'm already their losing tribe. my train. You, see, of thought. you got your John people, who which I you know, God bless you, Lindsay. A little obvious. Sorry. You're hey gonna, man, you're gonna pick John Taylor. That that square jaw, <laughs> that hat. Oh, this is what I was gonna ask. So this is what I was gonna say. So yeah, John was the favorite. You say he was kind of obvious. Yes. I interviewed John um, when Rio turns 35 about three years ago, and Ugh. I know, right? Wait, pause it's almost, there for a it's almost 40 years old. Still Catch my up, breath. Still holds up. Still sounds great. Still is influential. John could have a genetic connection to uh, Lorenzo Lamas. <laughs> <laughs> Just or actually out. more Renegade. like Renegade. Or more like um Michael from Greece too. Just good looking Ooh, British go. guy. Strong. Anyway. That's a real but I talked by to him. A fan. <laughs> yes. I talked to him to John yeah. Taylor about the mania that came out with right. with Rio and how with that album they kind of became a boy band and became pinup idols and there was a double edged sword to that, which I want to talk about with you guys. But I said to him about the overwhelming the success of it and and the whole teen idol thing and he said something they weren't prepared for was the jealousy and rivalry within the band he didn't mention andy by name but the jealousy rivalry within the band when they realized that fans were starting to have favorites Mm, when they went somewhere when one person was getting a lot more fan mail Mm -hmm. when they played a concert and certain people got way more screams than the other when they did press and the press wanted to talk to certain people more than the other he said they weren't prepared for that he didn't go into too much detail but he said that was something they were a band they were five guys unlike a lot of quote-unquote boy bands they were a real band they started in a club scene the Mm -hmm. rum runner birmingham they got you know like any other post-punk band that loved the Velvet Underground and Chic and the Sex Pistols and all that. They started like a real band and they became teen idols and he wasn't prepared for the fact that it would cause friction within the group. And so, of course, I was immediately, you know, picturing like Andy looking at his pile of fan mail and then looking at like the sack, <laughs> the room at Capitol Records, the entire circular top floor just filled with letters for John. Uh, obvious, probably some of mine on Hello Kitty stationery somewhere in there. Uh, but it's interesting, the whole boy band thing. So this is what I want to ask you guys as men. You grew up being Duran Duran fans. But at some point when Duran Duran hit critical mass here, it became, this is my experience as a, as a girl fan, they were like my boy band. And for the record, I actually just want to, as an aside, say, I'm so friggin' grateful that Duran Duran were my boy band. Because if I'd been born a bit earlier, it could have been the Osmonds mm-hmm. or someone. If I'd been born later, it could have been New Kids on the Block or it mm-hmm. could have been yep. Justin Bieber or whatever. But because my boy band was a band with the background I just mentioned, a post-punk band with cool, edgy, weird influences on Harvest Records produced by Colin Thurston. Mm -hmm. I think it set me up for like a lifelong path of having what I think is pretty good musical taste because like my first entry point to really obsessing over a band was a band that was pretty damn hit. I think only now though, with people like Mark Ronson and stuff, you know, I think only now people are beginning to realize how cool they were. I mean, they freaking were like, inducting Roxy Music into the Hall of Fame. But when we were kids, boys disavowed them. Mm. 
in my world, it was like basically saying you were, I don't want to say the word out loud, but if you were a boy in my junior high and you said you liked Duran Duran, people would call you the F word. Yeah. Well, yeah. I a got, pansy. I got say. that for Echo and the Bunnymen too, though. So, really? Well, yeah. okay. I think it, I hung out with a lot of uh, musicians and people who played in bands and were in the high school band, if you want to call that a musician. But everybody who, even though they didn't like Duran Duran, they would go, you know, they're not any good, but boy, that bass player is yeah, really he, good. He always and got a would, pass for that. Yeah. That's and they would true. listen to the bass part for Rio. Have you ever heard that isolated? I was about to say on YouTube, the isolated oh bass line. God. Dun, dun, it's dun. amazing. Fun, funny stories. I remember picking up some base magazine because when I was a kid, uh, I picked up any magazine Duran Duran mm -hmm. were in. I'd go to Walden Books or whatever and just spent all my allowance money on Duran Duran pinup magazines. And I picked up a bass player magazine because John Taylor was in it. And I was outraged because they had a list of like the best, like a, a reader's poll of like the best bass players. I was outraged because John came in second to the guy from level 42. I was so <laughs> mad. But that guy's well, a monster King is amazing. I, was, that guy's I don't a care. Monster. I was like 12 yeah. and I was I like, this is an outrage. Yes. No, I realize that now, yeah. but at the time I was like, what? I demand a recount. How could this be? He's not even cute. <laughs> he looks like a frog. <laughs> I jumped off, right? When, so, when, when, when did you jump? Here's what happened. I I was way in and I felt like they were the gateway drug. Yeah, for me but they then were. It wasn't that there were, when the reflex dropped. Flex, mm -hmm. flex, 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 flex. I jumped off and I ran to the store. I bought the 45. Did you have a gag reflex? It just there was <laughs> something. It was fine, but here's the thing. Okay. Like so take things back full circle, blah, blah, blah. There was there was a point to the Warhol thing. Warhol thing is my mom through Warhol meets Nile Rogers at a party. I am as Thanks I'm sure for one upping all of us. I'm like, I bought records yeah. at Weldon Books, and you're like, I was hanging out with Nile Rogers. Well, Mike no, they're, 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 this is this gonna, this gonna get us there. So I um as I'm sure you you see my nerddom on my face. Uh, she, you know, uh, chic to me was the coolest thing that ever happened yeah. as a kid, right? So chic to me was it. And my mom knew that, that I was just obsessed with. And I started to sort of, as I collected records, like baseball cards and started looking at the backs of the records, I started saying, oh my God, let's dance. And I started seeing that Niall and, and, and Bernard had sort of segued past this whole other thing. Right. Mm -hmm. My mom meets him at a party and during that time, and he explains to my mom, just there at a dinner party um, and starts to explain what he's doing now. And my mom is trying to articulate the fact that she has this kid who's mildly athletic, who isn't particularly intelligent, and um, certainly, certainly, <laughs> is isn't, she saying that? certainly isn't academic. Yeah, and but you know, seems to sit with his headphones on twenty four hours a day, just listening to his vinyl right. over and over and over again. He's obsessed with your music. What kind of career could that ever lead to? And he said, "Oh, he's probably a songwriter, a record producer." So, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, true story. So. Um, and the, the punchline being that, you know, 10, uh, you know, 
12 years later, I'm sitting in my studio in Manhattan writing songs with Niall. And Niall, wow. like, you know, we collaborated then and he's actually a good friend now. And wow. like, he's been like a real mentor through me. In and what out did you collaborate with him on? We wrote a song for Chic that has not seen the light of day in 2099, 1999. We also wrote a song. Uh, he played on the Cooler Kids record that I made with mm. Jill Kniff from Luscious Jackson and Dave Schomer. Um, was featuring Cicely Treasure and Kaz Gamble on DreamWorks Records and Tape before they closed. Um and uh, he played on a song called Blue Nile, which was a tribute to him. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we have a really great relationship. But what I'd say about Nile is, so I entered into Duran Duran as this huge fan, and I'm a huge Nile fan. And then those worlds collide on wax. It didn't work and for you. It didn't it? work for me. And I'm having a hard time sitting with the two of you because I'm feeling terrible by myself. Well, he, uh, he, I, he did the remix for Reflex, but was it? Notorious, the first Notorious production. Notorious is when well, it begins to go for A lot of people jumped off me. from that. Not necessarily me, but that is when I sort of. And one of the reasons why I kind of went from super fan to just like regular everyday fan during that era. There were many things going on. I was getting older. I was entering, you know. Morrissey. I was just discovering yeah, other know? music, the Cure, Echo and the Bunnymen, things that were a little edgier. But also, it you know, two of the members left. They may have been the members I cared right. least about, but they still, it was no longer the Fab Five. And their sound changed a little bit too. And I, I commend them for this. They tried to do something different. They couldn't keep doing the same thing. It, it got a little slicker, more R&B. And I loved, was Skin Trade on that record? Skin Trade? Yeah. That, yeah. Dear, but you're, you guys know, are Preci missing one single that Niall did between there. Wild Boys. Yeah, he did and Wild I was, Boys? He did Wild and I'm Boys. not, I, I was going to say, and I'm not a huge Wild Boys fan that either. Is, it's a hard song to do know, karaoke to, I'll tell it, you that now. But that seems to be like the dividing line. That's where, that's the single that really you're either for it yeah. or against it. I jumped it. off. Oh, I Like the video though, I didn't like when they got all Mad Maxi. I'm like, go oh, back yeah. to being on yachts. By the way, I hated the video. The thing that you <laughs> where know, he's like strapped underwater. The, the bands that really changed it for me that same year, I heard Murmur. Right. I heard you know Reckoning, really Reckoning uh, with REM. But then Echo and the Bunnymen was it for me. But so see, it's interesting. Echo and the Bunnymen were the greatest band I'd ever heard, and it was so beautiful. Ocean and Rain just, came out see, that year, and that was it. It's interesting, yeah. and, and given the background that Duran Duran came from, their heritage in the club scene, the Midlands, Birmingham, the influences they had, who their contemporaries were, they could have had a different, you know, different career path. If right. like, um, what's his name? Stephen Duffy had yep. stayed the lead mm -hmm. singer or whatever. Tintin. If, yeah, if, if Tintin had stayed mm -hmm. their singer, if MTV hadn't gone on board, right. if they had, you know, let's face it, been less good looking right. uh, and hadn't, you know, embraced the whole pinup thing that was happening for them, they could have been on the same career trajectory as an Echo and the Bunnymen or a New Order. Listen to that first record. Yeah. That yeah. first record, you've got things like Night Boat, yep. Waiting for the Sound of Thunder. I mean, it's menacing. It's, it's lots of sequencers. Cool. It's, it's super so synthy. Cool. It's super synthy. Yeah. Right. And then you get in and you have these weird lyrics that are just kind of stream of consciousness. They yeah. don't mean anything. And then you get into Rio where it's a little smoother. In an alternate um, universe, they would not have been a boy, a quote unquote boy band. They right. would have been just a post-punk band that we're talking about in the same breath as, you know, as the Smiths. Can I say I, one thing about Rio as a songwriter? Yeah. So Rio is my favorite Duran Duran single. Right. Okay. I 
use Rio as an example all the time. It's the rare occasion where you take a hit and you want to rewrite it. You want to rewrite it? But what would I want to, if I could sit in the studio with those guys and my 12-year-old Jew Frode self who <laughs> resembled Art Garfunkel. Um, he was it, a movie star. Yes, obviously. Um, <laughs> what would I have said to those guys in the room? What what irks me about that record? Say it now. I'm just giving oh, you guys you a shot. Oh, you don't know. No, I'm giving you guys would, a shot to guess. I, what irked me about it? What would I have changed the in the bridge? song? The, the, the saxophone solo? I would have taken the last 16 bars, the doo 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 doos, is the greatest pop hook in history. Oh, and they it? bury it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have made it a post chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that, that they don't yeah. revisit that, it's the greatest melody in history. I use that hmm. all the time as an example of pop perfection. We're going to quote you on that. It should have gone. It should have been less than just a yeah, toss at the end. Po- it's point. the greatest it's the best way, in history. It's the best way to end the video with it like sailing off to sea and like Simon like kind of snapping to it. But here's the thing. Since we're talking about dividing lines and you just said that Rio is your favorite single. So here's a theory. I'm going to drop a little bit of a name. But many years ago when the first Interpol album came out, I interviewed Interpol. And Sam, the drummer, who is a little bit older than the other guys in that right. band, he and I, not as part of the interview, but off camera, got into a conversation about Rio, Rio, uh, about Duran Duran in mm-hmm. general. And he argued that when it comes to gender divides among Duran Duran fans, that men tend to prefer the first record, the self-titled, and that girls tend to prefer the you know more romantic, lush, swoon-worthy Rio album. I have. Very informally, I haven't had like, you know, I a am test. co-signing that a thousand percent. I have only anecdotal evidence. I have mm-hmm. evidence. I haven't like, you know, done a scientific study oh. with a, with a, you know, what they call, what they call it, like a test group. Or right. a, All my broskies love the first record. I like the second. Do you see? Okay. I like the second. Do you? Okay. That's pop. It's pop gold and I'm a pop writer. You're as nerdy as we are, Sam. Yes. So I can ask this question yeah. here. Do you like Rio, the UK version <laughs> or the US version? I like the UK version. See, I like the US version. What's the on the version. UK version? The Faster it's My Own different, Way? Yeah, different yeah. mixes. Okay. Uh, David Kirschbaum basically revamped the whole, like, Hold Back the Rain, the US version is like, Two minutes longer right. than the UK version, and well, you can very, never get enough hold back the yeah, rain because exactly. that's like the hidden gem, exactly. not hidden, but the, the should have been, been a single. Been. Should have been a single. Well, um, the chauffeur is the best song of all time. But you didn't like anything else off Seven and the Ragged Tiger, like New Moon on Monday. I, I'm okay. Here's the thing: New Moon on Monday was the best of it for me. Seven Stranger, rest. that's the best. You're looking at me like no. <laughs> I just, you know, it's weird because I was so passionate for those first two years. Yeah, so passionate, and. I have to tell you, like, I really, you know, we're, t- we're we're giving John Taylor a lot of love and we should, but I was a Simon guy because mm-hmm. I, my theory, the, the reason I stay behind the curtain is because I, the front person, I have to buy as a star mm-hmm. for anything to be believable to me. 
And when there's somebody up front, it, it could be an ironic star, an accidental star, just an over-the-top star, whatever it is, I want to know that somebody is infinitely more charismatic and interesting than myself. And when I saw Simon, I was like, oh, this is who I would want to be. Right. Look at this guy. He looks like he's running the country club. And at the same time, like he has that swagger. He was just great. You know, and my, lyrically, my, he's I don't think his lyrics get to do that they he's deserve. He's great. He's a total talent. And it's funny because my wife is a uh, Duran Duran's her number one. Mm -hmm. So that's why I love having this conversation. It's number one. The one thing in my marriage that I feel like I have lived up to more than anything else is I did get her the intro to Duran Duran. Oh, I nice. pulled it through Nile at some event in New York about 15 years ago. And we went backstage and I'll never forget her face. I mean, she literally froze when <laughs> when John and Simon are standing right there, and Nick Rhodes is sort of loitering. Who about. was your favorite? Uh, Simon. Okay, she was a Simon. Simon, girl. Big so time. we can be friends. Simon, me big and her. time. Simon, big time. Well, it's um, interesting. Do you remember when? Um, obviously, there's been so many ups and downs and incarnations of Duran Duran, but when they were very briefly signed to Epic Records for an underrated album, it was for an astronaut, but also for Red Carpet Massacre. Right. When Red Carpet Massacre was about to come out, which was the album that had all four of them, but Andy had already left. Mm -hmm. Epic did this thing on the patio, like, uh, you know, in Santa Monica, okay. like a gathering for Duran Duran. And all four of them were there and mingling with the guests and stuff. And it was very interesting. Again, the hierarchy, the way the girls freeze around certain people, like the event you just talked about, but also the sort of like, like I said, the hierarchy. When Roger came in, people pretty much left him alone. Like my friend Karen she could have had she that my Roger friend from childhood. She could have had he left and went and got Starbucks and came back. Like no one was talking wow. to him. I don't know if it's, it's so, because that's so no one recognized it's so funny him. you say because they got signed to Warner, right? And at the time we were at our old location, so uh, the headquarters for where I worked was on one side of the street, and the famous ski lodge where Warner was located right. was on across the bridge. Yeah, and through my vast network of contacts. Someone said, Duran Duran's having a reception in the lobby. I'm like, pew! There was a, little, there was a John <laughs> oh, shaped I remember uh, this hole because through the I door, was, like Looney Tunes. No, I remember this because I was trying to, I was hitting up, I heard about it and yeah. I was hitting up all my friends that work at Warner saying like, can I come? And they were oh, like, no. I got in there and I got pictures with all of them. Like, uh, I, I, I was like, you know what? I'm a senior executive. I don't give a fuck. I'm going <laughs> to fanboy out. Here's my camera. And I was very honest with them. And they were super cool. John yeah. and I had a quick conversation about um, uh, some vinyl that we were putting out. And I was like, wow, he's keep paying attention to our release schedule. Crazy. And again, no one's talking to Roger. Wow. And I, you know, wow. <laughs> so I, so like, he's I my sidle favorite. on wow. up. And yeah, it's just funny how. You're like, hey, Rough Trade. Well, first of all, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I was one of like maybe five guys there. Wow. Uh, and yeah, it was amazing. Go. And so, yeah, no, I, I have tons of respect for lots of things they do musically. I mean, but and I want to ask you about this yeah. Warner party, see if it was the same yes. experience as my epic one. So like I said, Roger pretty much being ignored. Nick Rhodes, People, of course, are excited to see Nick Rhodes, but not a huge swarm of people. Like, you can have go have a conversation with him. Simon, the mania starts to step up. Yeah. John Taylor walks in. It's like Jesus walked in. I think it was, Rome, I think there was to, fear. No. I, I, no, on the Warner side, it uh, was like, oh, shit, you but know. You definitely noticed yeah. the excitement for each band member was a little more, right. it ramped up the most for John. Yeah. I, I, I think he was the one people wanted to go talk to the most and they were afraid. He's to. really nice. Yeah. I, that's, I, I thought great the experience. one thing I would say about all of them, I found them to be the sweetest guys the, in the world. Absolutely. They were all so pleasant. Mm -hmm. You know, I, they I, understand, unlike some people who, 
have that kind of teen idol past or right. or whatever a pat where people really worship them. Right. Mm-hmm. They understand it. They appreciate it. Yeah. They're not like they're annoyed great. by it when people say, "Oh, I had a poster on my wall," or you whatever. No, you're completely right. I've 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 I've, I've come in contact with them two or three times at different things, and honestly. Total sweethearts. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, I want to say, by the way, I did jump off, but then I jumped back. When did you jump back? View to Kill. Meeting you with a view to a kill. Face to face in secret places. Feel the chill. Yeah. Okay, so you weren't gone for long. No, no, no. But I, but I, but I, but you know, the, the, there were a couple of years in there where it was. And by the way, never hatred. Just sort of, just found it sort you of. You found boring. other interests. Yeah, I just sort of, I just sort of tuned out. But view to a kill. I agree. It's to me, it's the, it's the penultimate uh, Bond theme. I mean, it's it. they it's were so fierce. They were a band of James Bond. Yes. Yeah. It, it, that's a fierce record. You know, I love that record. You know, I, I was a big fan of it. I, 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 are we, I don't want to skip around. I'm, well, like, I want to talk to Since we were talking about Simon and lyrics, I did want to I tell a little quote. So yeah. there's this guy, you no, know, he's a friend of mine now. His name is Paul Bahan. He has a record label called Manimal, and they he's actually done stuff. He he, he uh, wrote a song for his wife's film with John Taylor. He's become John Taylor's, one of his best friends. He was like best man at John Taylor's wedding. But he's, a, he's someone who, like us, started loving Duran Duran right. as a kid. I met him. This is literally how we met. He was, this is early 2000s. I walk into a vintage store that he at that time was working on. He had his label on the side, but his day job was working at a vintage store. I walk in wearing a Duran Duran bootleg t-shirt that I bought at Duran Con 97 at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, which is by the way, where Duran Duran uh, where John Taylor announced after doing an acoustic set that he was leaving Duran Duran and there was like carnage around me as women oh my God. wept. Awesome. Anyway, I'll tell that story in a minute. But so I had bought this shirt and it was, a, I didn't realize it. It was just like a vintage shirt, but I walk in and he's like, where'd you get that shirt? And I said, oh, I bought it at this like swap meet type thing. And he goes, that has to be a bootleg shirt, like from back in the day. And I said, why? Why do you say that? He goes, because he goes, the logo and all the artwork on it is Seven and the Ragged Tiger. But look at the picture of Duran Duran on it. It's clearly like a picture from like 1981. Like John Taylor's got like the burgundy Mm -hmm. hair. And I'm like, hi, my name is Lindsay. Let's be friends. (laughs) So we became friends. And then he went on to do this whole whole career. And he ended up like putting out this tribute album to Duran Duran. And he wrote in the liner notes, uh, which I have to, he really loves Simon Le Bon. And he said, Simon's lyrics, in my opinion, are right up there with such revered artists as Gang of Four, The Fall, and The Clash. Their incredible music was much overshadowed by massive early stardom. I want to say that this record he did, which was called Making Patterns Rhyme, had War Paint on it, Moby, Chairlift, Kareen Around. And he said, because I just think he can say it better than I can. This is why he and I were meant to be friends. Mm -hmm. Duran Duran started out as a gang of art school kids who were in the thick of the UK post-punk scene. The only difference between Duran Duran and bands like The Cure or Wire is that Duran Duran saw the artistic edge in disco as well as early British punk and art rock and created a blend of their own mainstream friendly choruses, dance beat and rhythms. He's right. That's why we're friends. So I think musically, I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how culturally they were important. The videos, the fashions, the teen stardom they had. I mean, I could go on and on. But musically, I think they're only beginning to get their due now. Well, it's interesting because as U2 has grown into sort of the iconic face of 80s rock, to me, 
those two sat next to each other for the 80s. Like Duran mm-hmm. Duran was just as important as U2 throughout the decade. They had throughout yeah. that decade. I think the reason why U2 Duran Duran had more dips. Yeah. They're, I think, on an upward swing now with the yeah. last two records. But U2, their dips were low, were not as dippy. That's exactly right. So, you know, <laughs> my favorite Duran Duran, like, I, you know, I so saw I tune out and Come Undone was not my single. I did not. I was not a huge fan. And really? But I'll tell you where they grabbed me by the jugular. And brought me back into the vortex of the Duran. Red well, Carpet Massacre? No. <laughs> Didn't think so. You leave Timberland no. alone. I like it's, that record. We can talk the, about that in a moment. The cover of Perfect Day. Yeah. Oh, from, and, from the wedding album. And yeah. they got raves from Lou Reed about that. Is he, that true? He actually Did said, they? there's a quote from Lou Reed that this is the best version of this song. If only Thank You had been as good as that cover. Yeah. Because that was, I, I, it pains me to say that I hated the Thank You cover record because I'm such a Duran Duran right. fan. Their intentions were really good. White Lines was tough. They See, should not, and they did nine one one as a joke too. Simon right, should. Right. I, I can forgive white lines, record. but nine one one as a joke. Nine one one should not. Uh, Simon Lebon should not rap, but rock. their influences were good, and I think it was a, a kind of a roadmap to the fact that they had good taste. But they're though they have done many good covers. They've covered Bowie songs, Fame, or whatever. It's like they a lot of what they do cannot be adaptable to outside of their right. own. Music. It's weird because I, the track choices for Thank You, I think, is what hurt it. Because there's B-sides from that record, and one of them is Needle and the Damage Done, Neil Young tune. I didn't know that. And it's so good. Yeah. Why and wasn't that on the Why wasn't one? that on the album? It's I like, just, come on, I just guys. Think that after, I like Secret October. Why wasn't Secret October on Seven? I just think that after Come Undone and Ornary World and the Wedding Album and how that was such an against-all-odds career sure, resurgence right. for them, they were so poised to build on that and get back to being right. a U2 level and just be, I mean, it took them a long time to get back there because their next album, if anyone was thinking that the wedding album was a fluke, the thank you record, that being the follow-up, a record of songs that they did not write and right. that they didn't do that good a job covering, that made people think they were husbands again. It mm. pains me to say that. But I've, I mean, you know, I'm a Duran Duran loyalist. I don't like everything they do, but I think on all of their records, even the later ones, there's always little nuggets there. And I mentioned Red Carpet Massacre because a lot of diehard Duran Duran fans hate that record. Mm-hmm. Have you heard Night Runner off that record? Night Runner's amazing. That's a banger. It's a great that song. is a jam. If it was Justin, not, yes, if it was not Duran Duran and it was a Justin Timberlake song, it would have been a top 10 Timberland hit. produced. I don't know if yeah. Justin Timberlake wrote that one. He co-wrote right. um, Falling Down, which yeah. was, Duran Duran have a history of sometimes choosing the wrong first single. The wrong, yeah, they, I think they thought they had another um, uh, Ordinary World on their hands and they did yeah, not. Yeah, they went with the ballad. Way in on they went with it. I failed. Yeah. Uh, on Red Carpet Massacre? Yeah, Wendy you Laster. You could have saved it. You is Wendy Laster still managing? As far as I know. Yeah, so Wendy, uh, I knew Wendy in New York. Um and 
I kept sending emails like, hey, just checking in because I knew this existed because right. I knew she picked it up. She's, I believe, Nick's cousin, maybe. Oh, I didn't know she, that. I think she's related to Nick, Nick Rhodes. Okay. And uh, I sent her uh, a few notes like, hey, I'm just checking in. What are you working on? You know, <laughs> and I just kept getting the Heisman in return. Uh, so I knew it wasn't going to well, happen. You know, what's interesting around that time, I think you guys might know this. So do you know about the whole reportage album that of, didn't come out? Yeah, it was the last one with Andy. It there didn't was come out. Right. But they, so Andy my, was frustrated. My understanding is after Astronaut, which was the record where the Fab Five came back together and it was a big success. And I have another story I want to tell about that. I have so many stories. But when that record was, a, I, I don't know if I'd say it was a big success, but it was well received. Yeah. Reach it for the sun. Rise was decent size. Got on VH1. Yeah. Got on VH1. Very VH1. They started to do their next record, which was is it reportage or reportage? I've heard it both ways, but let's reportage go with reportage. Sounds, sounds exotic, exotic and on producing it. Yeah. Huh? Who produced it? Well, here's the thing. I don't exactly know. Uh, this is I'm piecing together the knowledge I have okay. of this. So, from what I understand, they started to record it, the five of them, and it was going to be a, a very guitar oriented record for them, which of course Andy would be stoked about, and it was going to sort of be borrowing a little bit from kind of that early mid-aughts guitar resurgence that was coming back with bands like Franz Ferdinand mm-hmm. and The Strokes mm-hmm. and Block Party and stuff. So it would be like kind of a post-punk record inspired, but with more guitar. Mm-hmm. At some point, it changed and Timbaland came on. And then it took the direction that Red Carpet Massacre had, which was like about as un-guitar as it right. could be. So Andy just was like, this isn't for me. And he left again. And all of that reportage stuff, I don't know how far along they got. I don't know if it actually got to like being like a finished album, but it never has come out. I'm dying to hear it. Maybe it sucks. I don't know. Maybe it came yeah, out because it wasn't good. Doesn't it feel like a, just a, like all it takes in life is one bad record label meeting mm-hmm. to derail the cool. You know what I mean? Oh, do like, I? You, you could just imagine the conversation. Ah, oh, Timberland's hot right now. He's really mm-hmm. hot. Yeah. He's really hot. And it all. And just, let's have Justin Timberlake right, write the yeah, single. Look at this. This is the sound of 2004. It's on top. You know, it's just I've I, I've seen this movie. I know how it ends, and it's strange. I have a question for you about Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and uh, at this point in history, what room does Duran Duran play in L.A.? Okay. Well, the last time they played in LA, they did the Hollywood Bowl, yep. which was their first time. Um, normally they would have played. Chic. Yes, it was right. awesome. Normally right. they don't play somewhere that big, but they would, I would say at this point, like a Greek theater, I would say which like, is what, like two yeah, or 3,000? But, but can yeah. I say something? That's heartbreaking. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. It is, but it isn't. Here's why. There are certain bands that as great as they are, they only tour in the U.S., as part of these 80s package yes. tours. Hell, I'll go to them. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's like, oh, like we said in other podcasts, it's like one of the guys from Naked Eyes and one in Rome doing one song. China and then like Crisis. China <laughs> Crisis. And, you know, uh, Anna LaBelle Lewin from Bow Wow Wow billing herself as Bow Wow Wow, but she's singing to a track and right. the other guys aren't there. And then it'll be headlined by, you know, someone like a Heaven 17 or well, Human the League. Do it, you know. Or um, uh, ABC or yeah. whatever. I love those things. Duran Duran never have to do that. They're no. never on any 80s package tours. There's very few bands like that still touring from that era that can just headline straight. It's like Duran Duran, U2. Um, I'm and starting to lose. They do bristle a bit at being tagged in 80s bands. They absolutely they do. They don't like that. And I can see why, because they did have, they've had a career. Uh, I mean, all you need is now is an amazing record. I don't Mark know if you've Ronson heard that. Mark Ronson did a great that, job on that so record. Good. Paper God's even better. Paper in my God's opinion. is great. Um, and you know, I think there's just there's a lot of underrated things throughout their career. Where if you ever go back as a, a lapsed fan, mm-hmm. listen to Big Thing. Okay. 
Yeah, uh, do you believe in shame? Do you believe in shame? Land is a great song. I don't want song. your love. Uh, yeah, uh, just that's a good song. I, I don't want your love is like yep. chic. There yep. you go again. Uh, it's very so. Chic. There's a lot of things, a lot of nuggets to find there. I will tell you what to avoid. Liberty. Violence of Summer is good. <laughs> Violence of Summer. Uh, that one song is okay. Okay. That yeah. one song I like. I can't tell you another song off of it. Well, what's interesting about it is at the end of the day, in 10 years from now, if we if we took a snapshot, a composite of this moment, and then go 10 years down the road, there are about 75 acts that we can name who will be off the road. Yeah. They will have aged out of touring, which is so horrifying, but it's a reality of how the touring business is going to get hit. Mm-hmm. There's going to be this gigantic gap. And in that space, you will have, you know, you two and the foos and, and, and the honestly, cure. and Pearl Jam, who seem mm-hmm. to be the, you know, the, the new, the new Grateful Dead. Yep. Coldplay, you know, maybe if they figure out a way to do it, maybe. Uh, I mean, you know, the last record went away really quickly. So yeah. I just would say, but you start to set this thing up and you see that Duran Duran could suddenly pick it back up and suddenly it's back at the bowl full on. I mean, they have had this hipster resurgence where when all you need is now is coming out. They, they played South by Southwest. They played Coachella. They Mm -hmm. had lot, you know, and they did the bond song, but before we have so many things to that. I know we have to wrap this up, but I was talking about the dividing line between the first album and the second album. And I have to bring it up. So as I mentioned in 97, I was there when, when John Taylor temporarily took leave of absence from Duran Duran. He, it was Duran Con 97. It was probably a time when, you know, John Taylor was like, okay, I guess I will embrace this 80s nostalgia thing that they do bristle against. He was doing, he did Lonely in Your Nightmare, so fitting, and then told people that he was leaving Duran Duran. That's the day the music died. Right? Everyone was crying. It was like, everyone was upset. So I'm up outside. It was at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the valet. And there was a woman there middle-aged woman, inconsolable. She's covered in Duran Duran pins. Mm. She's sobbing inconsolably. She's with a man, I think is her husband. He's trying to tell her it's not the end of the world. She's like, yes, this, it by is. By the way, this visual is incredible. She's like, it actually <laughs> is the end of the world. <laughs> I overheard this and as upset I was is to find out that John was leaving Duran. I couldn't help but laugh. So she's, she's at this point, obviously Duran Duran was only Simon, Nick and John sure. anyway. So he says, you know, John had said, don't worry, like Duran Duran's going to continue just without me. So he's like, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. Duran Duran will continue. Simon and Nick are still going to music. And she goes, that's not Duran Duran. That's Arcadia. <laughs> I lost my shit. It's election day. She wasn't wrong. Oh, no. She wasn't wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> but oh, no. that brings me to the point. She obviously drew a line in the sand. Well, Where do we stand on Power Station versus Arcadia? Power station. No, Arcadia. Okay, because my theory is that dudes prefer dudes. power station and women prefer Arcadia. I, as much as a John person I am, I've made it very clear John's oh. my number one, but I prefer Arcadia. Power station, Tony Thompson, man. I no, mean, I know. It's got the, the sheet ties. The drums are so Don't get me wrong. Hard. Those Loved rec- it. Love communication. Yeah. Underrated single. Those records are rugged.
And they actually know. introduced me to T-Rex. I'm a little embarrassed to say I heard yep. Get It On, Bang a Gone honestly, uh, first through that. Robert Palmer, another one of these guys who falls in the category of forgotten geniuses. Because yep. if you cut Robert Palmer down to one video moment mm-hmm. that was iconic, the 70s stuff is some of the greasiest, funkiest yeah. sort of you know, Brit soul there is. I mean, he was, you know, sneaking salad through the alley, man. I mean, this is the funkiest well, guy I ever. I think Discipline of Love is the first Power Station but song. I, right. There I you will. go. Listen to that. Great. Great. That I think, although it may have slowed their momentum coming after Seven, the Ragged Tiger, for those band for the band to, to split into two bands for a while, it was a gutsy and very cool thing for them to do to be like, we're the hugest band in the world right now. We can do this. We can have two supergroups. But I think that for those haters who, uh, you know, as my experience at least, tended to be male, who didn't think that the guys in Duran Duran were good players or were good, uh, were credible, to have two of them split off into a band. With Tony Thompson yeah. and uh, was Bernard Edwards involved in that? He, he produced, produced it, producing, produced yeah. it, and obviously Robert Palmer. And then the others split off and had like people like Grace Jones on the record. I'm pretty, Sting. Yep. I'm pretty was David Gilmore. David Gilmore David was Gilmore. definitely on it, and they both had you not know chart thing. success. I'm I, I'm pretty sure Power Station had more chart success. I'm oh, not for sure. sure, but they both had chart success. They both. You know, we're doing very different things. One was a little more art rock. I would actually say I kind of wish that Arcadia, So Red the Rose, had been the fourth Duran Duran record yeah. because it was a little more in the Duran wheelhouse. But then Power Station, we're doing this like kind of macho funk thing that allowed Andy to show what he Power could Station do. Power Station was for the jocks. Arcadia was for yeah. the art F words, of which I was one. Let me tell you something. I was like a starting JV wide receiver during that year. Yeah. And I would tell you it was the soundtrack of oh, yeah. my Walkman. Cause I mean, you listen know. to uh, the beginning of some like it hot with those drums. Oh, I mean, they're it, it, so I heavy, hear man. Yeah. But I mean, I, Niall was playing real ball that mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, those two, those two things, whether you prefer one or the other, I think it really kind of solidified the fact that these were guys who could play, that these were guys who had the respect of their peers. You have to remember like John Taylor's done stuff like Neurotic Outsiders with Duff McKagan and Steve Jones. And I just think they are a band's band. There are musicians who really look to their musicianship, to their lyrics and go, this is real deal. Sam was in the locker room getting pumped up to some like it hot. <laughs> I was in drama class doing a uh, interpretive reading of El Diablo, the lyrics from our Oh, game. not step Incredible. into my flame. It's Every election day, please vote everyone. The election is coming up. Do what Simon said. Do what Grace Jones says. Every election day, I share the video knows. on my Facebook of I election day. I think I've day. worked with... 500 bands, right? I mean, I've been doing this a thousand years. The one thing I would say is never heard a disparaging word about Duran Duran. Never, ever, ever happens. Duran Duran are in a very sweet spot culturally in terms of it's less polarizing than, you know, than look, you know, people take a U2 cheap shot Mm -hmm. and, you know, and to me, Depending on the year, rightfully so. Duran Duran, untouchable. And it that's took why, a while for him to get yeah, there, though. Yeah. I just, I don't know. To me, what's interesting about Duran Duran's journey is uh, I, I've i existed in an industry where my career has been up and down a roller coaster for many years and sort of then finally sort of got to a place that was really great. 
I get the Duran Duran journey has all these strange turns. And when you, when you talk about Arcadia versus power station at the same time, like look at it this way, they could have been kiss and doing four oh, solo Lord, records. No. You know what I mean? Makeup versus not makeup. Exactly. Duran Duran makeup versus not Duran Duran makeup. Like they just, I felt like Duran Duran always kept things at a certain quality. And if even snarky kids like me tuned out mm-hmm. for periods of time, they would suck you back in with something and I don't know. I, I just can't believe I got to share comments with you guys about this. What's your favorite topic. underrated Duran Duran song? Because we all know the obvious ones. What's your favorite underrated, underrated? Duran Duran? I don't know about underrated. I would say in general, thinking about it, uh, I kind of like the chauffeur. Yeah. Oh that's, my well, God. That's not that's underrated. Amazing. That's like Mark Ronson said it was the best song of all time. Th- that's to me we'll not underrated, it. but I'm saying, we'll but like, it. we're going a little deeper cut though. It's still, no, it's, it's my that, favorite. Yeah. That's actually literally my favorite Duran Duran song. Is that true? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And the sun drips down, bedding heavy behind the front of your dress, all shadowy lined on the droning engine props in time with your beating heart. And the sun drips down, bedding heavy behind the front of your dress, all shadowy lined on the droning engine props in time with your beating heart. I might, have, I might have, you know. No, I, I remember at the time it, I saw the video, I was upset because Duran Duran aren't in it. But right. now I appreciate that video. I'm doing the dance at the yes. end, by the way. Where they have their hands <laughs> yeah, on each oh, other and they're yes, in like the, the leather right. S&M corsets. What's yours, Joan? Uh, it has to be Friends of Mine from the first it's record. It's a good one. The killer chorus. And uh, although my favorite Duran Duran lyric is, I don't want to be in public. My head is full of chopstick. I don't like it. <laughs> so true. Simon's I say that every day. Right? My... Um, there's so many I could go with. I actually think Night Runner, if you really want to go for full on wow. underrated red carpet massacre. I mean, everyone hated that record. Even I didn't really like that record, but that's a gem. But I'll go with something that's a little cooler. I would say one day, just one day, I'm going to throw a party in a hotel room and I'm going to book room 7609. Oh, Late, late Bar. Great song. Maybe not Simon's best lyric, but... Another one that, you know, drop to the shore and throw that on the record, please. You know, yeah, I like all that stuff. Uh, mm. Faster than like Canada. Like all an that. You know what brings Duran Duran into my mind more hmm. than anything? My favorite film of the last probably 10 years was Sing Street. Oh, oh, that's yeah. And when I watch Sing Street, I think of Duran Duran. Mm. I think of the kid as the lead and I think he's mini Simon and he's figuring <laughs> it out and it warms my heart. I'm going to tell one story before we leave because I think it's it's a random story, but it just kind of shows you how like Duran Duran kind of saved my, my ass at one time. Picasso was your babysitter? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so picture this. Orange County, 2003, I believe. So when, when the band all got back together, the right. top five, I actually went to the show that they did at the Roxy. It was amazing. But there, and it was just probably one of my favorite concerts experience ever. They hadn't played in America in like 17 years. The last time they played together was Live Aid when Simon Le Bon, like, I believe his voice 
uh, cracked on a Unru- view to a kill. Yeah, unfortunately. And they cut right to Andy Taylor looking like he wanted to kill him, and that was it. <laughs> and then Power Station did I their love thing. Bands. <laughs> uh, it's like they, whoever, kudos to whoever was filming Live yeah. Aid. And when Simon hit the bad note, thought to cut to a That's shot fantastic. of Andy Taylor looking livid. That's fantastic. Say I'm going to watch that tonight. I, I, so I blocked that memory, <laughs> but I'm on it. They were all back together. Yeah. They did the Roxas show. It was amazing. The next night they did their official show, which was at uh, the, the Orange County Fair Pacific Amphitheater. So I'll try to tell this story kind of short. I had a free ticket that I got through the publicist, through the record label, just, but just one. The t- show was in demand, so I didn't get a plus one. My friend Leslie was going and she bought two tickets. She's like, let's go. And I said, oh, I already have a free ticket, but I'm not getting a plus one. And she had really good seats. She paid about $100 each for it. So she said, oh, I want to go with you. We're like Duran fans. And I said, how about I sell the ticket I have for $100 and give that to you? And then we can sit together in your extra seat. Makes sense, right? I'm not a professional ticket scalper. You got busted. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. Way. I'm not a professional ticket scalper, right? So what I do? You felon. Wow. I picked up my ticket and then I stood right in front of the venue and waved it in front of my head and said, uh, "And I wasn't trying to sell it for more than face value, please note." But I said, "Who needs an extra ticket? I got an extra ticket." You know, ten or so people get around me. And one girl goes, how much? And I say, $100. And she's like, score, you know, like, because there were other professional scalpers are selling them for hundreds of dollars. It was just like Duran Duran's first official concert is the five piece in almost two decades. And this guy goes, you're under arrest. Because what I found out is it was a comp ticket. It did not have a price on it. It said zero, zero. If I literally had said I'm selling it for a dollar, he could have arrested me for selling more in face value. So I'm like crying or whatever. I'm upset. You know, I'm scared. And he takes me aside and my, first, but what's my first instant? I'm like, I'm going to miss the concert. Right. I'm like, can I call my friend? And he's, he's being a real dick to me because you know, this is, his, he's a cop and this is his job. He's arresting someone for ticket scalping. I'm like, let me at least call my friend, please. And say, I'm going down to the station and I can't go to the show. So I'm calling her and I'm like crying. I'm like, Leslie, I'm getting arrested for ticket scalping. I can't go to the show. Fine. If you could find someone else. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I can't really talk, but I try to at some point, this cop, he's also looking through my purse and something that the cops do realize when they're looking for a career ticket scalper is, do you have lots of cash in your purse mm-hmm. and lots of other tickets? I had neither. So he, and he could see how upset I am, not just that I'm getting arrested, but that I'm missing the show. My priority immediately was that I was missing <laughs> the show, not that I'm going to have a criminal record. So he's kind of figured out he's kind of arrested the wrong person, as opposed to the friggin' millions of right, people of selling tickets more stealthily than me. No professional ticket scalper is like waving a ticket above their head going, free ticket or ticket mm. for sale. So he says, I'm not going to take you into the station. You can go. You can go to the show. But I have to still write you up and say you were detained. And I'm like, just tear it up. He's like, no, my boss is here. I I, I have to put it on the record you were detained. But, you know, I'll, I'll put all this stuff down saying no other tickets found, no large bills, whatever. So I want this expunged for my record because... First of all, just in principle, but also I'm working the music business. Is it I don't weird want... that we're both like uncomfortable sitting next to you right now that we feel like we're with a scoff <laughs> law and it's freaking us out? Just like, I'm, you got any tickets? Know, I'm getting I've nervous. got 9 this 1 dialed on yeah. my phone and my thumb is hovering <laughs> no, over the I was the one. genuinely upset. I mean, honestly, because I didn't want this on my record at all for various reasons, but l- least because I work in the music business and don't want people to think I make a career out of selling tickets. Right. It's also this kind was, of awesome at the same time. Right. Like, it, was very, great, like, it was very innocent thing. So I, you know, hire a lawyer or whatever and he goes into the courtroom with me and he brings in my trapper keeper that I still have 
of all my Duran Duran pinups. Everything. I'm getting emotional here. I had saved everything. (laughs) The pin, the trapper keeper on the outside is covered with Duran Duran puffy stickers. And it says Lindsay plus John written in a heart on it. (laughs) And he walks in and there's, uh, it wasn't like really like a courtroom. It was more like some kind of panel that decides if they're going to pursue this or if they're just going to drop it. It's obviously a minor charge, a misdemeanor. And he, he, he like holds up the trapper keeper and he goes, I want you to look at this. Does this look like someone who did not want to go to the Duran Duran concert <laughs> reunion concert that night? And he passes it. It's four men and one woman, woman in like her forties. And the woman in the forties opens it and starts like looking through it and she's smiling. Uh, He's, and I'm like, I'm going to get off. Yep. Not guilty. Right. Yeah. 12 Thank angry you. men starring Lindsay Parker. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, I, I saw her look at it and I was like, yeah, here, here's the evidence awesome. that shows you I'm a lifelong fan. That's a fantastic story. Yeah. yeah. And I have a clean record to this day, yeah. which is why I'm willing to tell it on the air. So thanks, Durandra. I'm glad that's, uh, that's why you should never throw your memorabilia away. Exactly. I still I, have all of it. I swim in it. I'm Lindsay Parker. I'm you Lindsay were... Parker. Oh, you are. I'm Lindsay yes. Parker, too. Yes. Right now we are. And I've been joined by the other Lindsay Parker. And we're and the all other scalping our way to greatness. And this has been Totally 80s. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally 80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. 